Welcome to the Rockcast. I am your host, Monty Colvin. Who cares? For anyone listening for the first time, well, I'm an artist, musician, and a podcaster. I'm also a straight white male, and I'm just filled with toxic masculinity. And if you have a problem with that, well, you've obviously stumbled onto the wrong podcast. However, for all the rest of you, I think I've got a good show today. It's February, which for me means two things. First of all, we've got Valentine's Day. So let me take this opportunity to tell my girlfriend Alex, happy Valentine's Day. And I call her my girlfriend, but we've been together two years now, and she's really more than a girlfriend. She's my love, she's my partner, and she's right there with my late mother as the greatest woman I've ever known. She's just incredibly supportive and loving. Not to mention, she just spoils the shit out of me. And she's just a real blessing to be with. She's just great. Now, the other thing that happens in February is I have a birthday. And this year, I turn 64. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah, I'm starting to get up there. But, uh, you know, over the course of my life, birthdays have never been that big a deal to me. I know they are to some people, but I only remember having one birthday party when I was growing up. My mom might make me a cake, or my dad might take me to a basketball game or something like that, but that was about it. In fact, most big occasions were just treated like, uh, okay, so you graduated from high school or college. Congratulations. Now let's move on. But these days, oh my God, parents are like roping off the street, throwing a parade, renting out a roller rink and inviting a couple of hundred people over to the house and then just opening up that wallet. Because after all, you're a year older and that's quite an accomplishment. But like I said, uh, you know, birthdays for me have never been that monumental. I think the only one that really bothered me was when I turned 50. And the reason was I could no longer tell people I was 40-ish. You see, when I was in my 30s, people told me I looked like I was in my 20s, and I was good with that. And then when I was in my 40s, if someone just had to know, I'd just tell them, hey, I'm 40-ish. And that lasted until I was 49. But on my 50th birthday, I just went, wow, game over. I'm officially old. And I remember on that day, somebody saying, oh, it's your birthday? And I looked at him like my life was about to end, and I said, yeah, this is not good. But you know, now that I'm in my 60s, 50 seems young. And I've realized over the years that uh, even though it's a cliche, uh, age is just a number. And I don't really care that much anymore. I'm no longer ashamed of how old I am. I just accept it. But it hasn't always been that way. And about 20 years ago, I was very depressed and I was thinking about the course of my life and I decided I was gonna write a book about my life. And as I was writing it, I just started realizing what a crazy life I have lived. And I've gotten to experience some things that most people never will. And I think it'll be very interesting for people to read if I ever finish it. But in case I never do finish it, I'm going to tell you a couple of stories today on this episode. And obviously, I'll go into more detail in the book. But for now, I'm just going to tell you a couple of things about my life that you might not know. Please don't. Okay, so this first one I started thinking about the other day when I was watching this documentary on one of those movie channels. And it was called Heaven's Gate, The Cult of Cults. And I'm sure most of you remember them from the 90s. They were this cult in uh, San Diego, and they all had the same haircut, and they all wore Nike shoes. And before Alex and I started watching it, I'm always telling her stuff that probably doesn't interest her at all. 
Like how many points Michael Jordan scored in a game that I went to in the 80s. Or about the guitar player from some band she's never heard of. Stuff like that. But every now and then she'll surprise me. Like one day I said, uh, hey, you know, there's this uh, coach for the New York Giants and his name's Wink Martindale. And I just thought it was funny because he had the same name as a game show host in the 70s. But instead she goes, oh, Don Wink Martindale? Yeah, I went to high school with him. And I said, what, you knew him? And she's like, yeah, I went to school with Don. And so I was almost not surprised when uh, we're about to watch this Heaven's Gate movie when Alex says, uh, yeah, I knew one of the guys in that cult. I used to work with him. And I was like, what, you're kidding me? Uh, one of the guys that committed suicide? And she said, yeah, I used to work at Whole Foods with him. And she said, yeah, young guy, kind of nerdy, was into Star Wars. And every day after work, a van load of people would come and pick him up. And I said, oh my God, that is so creepy. So we started watching it. It was about four hours long and it was really interesting. And about halfway through, I said, you know, this stuff fascinates me because, you know, uh, when I was young, I was also in a cult. And I'm sure most people, when they hear that, wonder how in the world could that happen? Well, here's how it happened. Now he has a story to tell and what a story. Back in the early 70s, I was living in Phoenix, Arizona. I was in the seventh grade and I was about 13 years old. And my parents were extremely religious Christian people and they started going to a church that met in a big house. And most of the people who went there were in their 20s and I would describe them as Jesus freaks. They were kind of like hippies, they didn't have jobs, and all they wanted to do is lay around all day and read their Bibles. Well, one day during one of the meetings, this woman walked in and proclaimed that she had been sent there by God to give us a message. And the message was, is he wanted a bunch of people to move up to Oregon to build an end times retreat. Because back then, everyone thought that Jesus was coming back very, very soon and that the whole world was going to come to an end. Cats and dogs were going to be living together. It was going to be mass hysteria. So naturally, some buildings needed to be built on top of a mountain so Christians could flee there when all hell broke loose. Well, for some reason, this sounded like a good idea to my parents. And so my dad sold his business. He sold our home. They pulled me out of school and we moved to Oregon. And there I was living on a farm with nine other people. Now I could go into great detail and make this about a three hour podcast, but instead I'll just tell you that when we got up there, things got weird. Shocking. Within a couple of months, these spiritual hippies that we moved up there with suddenly turned into manipulating, controlling assholes. And it was mainly one guy, and he was kind of a Jim Jones type. Ironically, his name was Jim. He self-appointed himself the leader of the group, and if you ever disagreed with Jim, he'd tell you that you were out of the will of God. So it was a lot of bullshit like that. But my dad was a good man with a good heart, and he tried to make the best of the situation. And one of the things he did was he took some money that he made when he sold the house and uh, he bought me a horse. I guess he figured, you know, a 13-year-old boy needs something to do other than sit in church meetings on a farm. But when Reverend Jim found out that the horse that Bud bought was actually Monty's horse and not the commune's, he got upset. He and the rest of the people in the cult decided that uh, they weren't going to talk to my parents anymore and things gradually got very unbearable. But it all came to a head one night when one of Jim's dipshit followers made a prophecy. And the prophecy was that the horse that Bud bought was an abomination to God. Oh my God! Upon hearing that, my dad said, uh, okay, let's get out of here. We took all of our stuff and the horse and moved into town. Now what happened to Jim and the cult? Well, without my dad's money to support them, uh, they all had to just move back to Phoenix. <laughs> yeah. About 20 years later, I wrote a song for the Galactic Cowboys called Oregon. And it was on the album called The Horse That Bud Bought. 
When my dad heard that song and read the words, I think it was very healing for him. I think he always felt bad about that because after all, it was kind of a big mistake. It definitely wasn't something that a 13-year-old kid should go through, and to be honest, it screwed me up a little bit. It made me into kind of an insecure introvert for a long time, and it didn't help that I got picked on because I was a skinny little teenager. But after about a year, we moved to Missouri where my dad had grown up, and once again, I was the unpopular new kid. But that kind of changed when people found out I could play basketball. And that was my dream for a long time growing up, to play college or in the NBA. And I kept expecting to grow as tall as my dad, who was 6'5". But that did not happen, so eventually I just gave up on that dream. However, when I was a senior in high school, one day in basketball practice, the coach made us run laps around the auditorium. And all of a sudden, I heard this sound coming out of there, and I opened the door, and it was some of my friends who were playing in a band. And when I saw those guys, I suddenly realized that normal people could play music. Up until then, I thought it was only genius types or magically gifted individuals. But when I realized the guys in my art class could do it, I thought, maybe I can too. So at the age of 17, I asked my dad if he'd buy me a guitar, and he did. And that's when I started the painful process of trying to learn. I took lessons for a while from an older woman who was teaching me how to play uh, Mary Had a Little Lamb and stuff like that, but I soon got tired of that. And after my dad graciously allowed me to listen to something other than gospel music, I started trying to play along with all my rock and roll records. I was listening to Ted Nugent and Peter Frampton and basically anybody that could play a guitar. In fact, there were times when I bought albums just based on the album cover. And I specifically remember doing that with Jeff Beck Wired. He just looked so cool that I thought, I gotta get this. And so I did, and like so many of those guys back then, he was one of my early guitar heroes. And I was really sorry to hear that he passed away recently, and I was really surprised. But just one of those players that had his own style and uh, just was amazing. So those are a couple of stories from my weird life, but let's switch gears now and get to some listener emails. And the first one is from Matt in St. Louis who said, Hey Monty, if you could go into the studio and make an album with your own hand-picked all-star band, who would be in that band? Okay, well good question Matt. You know, I've always wanted to work with Ginger from uh, the Wild Hearts. I would love to write songs with him, and of course I would play bass and do harmony vocals. As far as lead vocals, it would either be Ginger or a guy named Cove Reber, who used to be with Seosin. Never heard of him. Or maybe Shaley Bourget from Dayshell. I'll admit I've never heard of the guy. On guitar, I would love to have Adam D from Killswitch Engage. Who? Give me that hellaciously heavy tone. Or maybe Rich Ward from Stuck Mojo. Huh? Now on drums, I think the perfect drummer for anything I would want to do would be Mike Portnoy. He could play proggy stuff or metal or thrash out like he did on the Avenged Sevenfold album. Or if you just wanted him to play like uh, Ringo, he could do it. But that would be my dream band and I think that'd be pretty cool. It's never going to happen. Next, I got an email from Paul Stenning, who had a couple of questions. 
And the first one is uh, Paul says he really enjoyed that song I played on the last episode by the before-mentioned Ginger Wildheart. And he wonders if there's other stuff by Ginger that I could suggest that's similar to that song. You know, that's kind of a tough one because Ginger has just put out so much stuff over the years. He's put out a ton of solo stuff, but uh, they're usually really eclectic. It's all good, but you just never know what he's going to do. And so for me, what I usually suggest to people is just to go back to those albums in the 90s. I loved Earth vs. the Wild Hearts. I love PHUQ. But one of their albums that was really kind of commercial and poppy sounding like you might like was a CD that was called The Wild Hearts Must Be Destroyed. Of course, they never had any commercial success with that album because, you know, labels and the radio and the industry were trying to sell stuff like Matchbox 20 and crap like that. But if I were you, I'd just go find everything he's ever done and uh, just be happy. Now, Paul's second question is, Hey, Monty, you may know that Joe Lynn Turner has recently admitted that he wore a wig for many years. Good on him, I say, but I am now looking very closely at the hairlines of many a rocker. I'm wondering if Steve Harris might be wearing one. How can his hair look the same all these years? Do you think he might be wearing a piece? And who else would you suspect or even know about having one? Well, yeah, Paul, I did hear about the Joe Lynn Turner thing, and I thought about it for about five seconds. I wasn't really shocked, and I didn't really care, because, you know, when you get up to 40, 50, even 60 years old, uh, you're probably going to lose some hair. I've been very fortunate myself. I'm still hanging on. But at some point, if I start going really bald, I'm just going to shave my head. Screw it. I will not be wearing a wig, and I will not have a skullet. I will probably just wear a hat. At least that's the plan. Now, as far as Steve Harris wearing a wig, I don't buy it. I don't think he'll ever lose his hair because he is just too awesome. However, I have had my suspicions about Brett Michaels for a long time. When you see someone who is never seen in public without a bandana on, you gotta wonder. Somebody else that I heard rumors about was Ron Wood of the Stones. I do not know if he wears a wig or not, and I do not care. Because he is one of the coolest rock stars ever. And if you'd like a painting or a print of Ron Wood, go to my website, MontyColvinArt.com. It's badass stuff. Commercial's over. I got another question here from Dana in Texas. And Dana is a longtime listener of the rock cast and a guitarist extraordinaire. And his question is, hey, Monty, how about that Grammy award show? Well, Dana, here's my thoughts on the Grammys. I started to watch it. I lasted about five, maybe ten minutes and turned it off. Because, you see, it's not just the fact that most of the people on the show who perform and get awards are mediocre talents. That's a given. This has been going on for years, and we know what to expect. And I really don't care who wins, because it just doesn't matter. In my opinion, this show isn't even really about music. This is about Hollywood and the political left pushing their agendas. And I think most people have figured that out by now, and it's probably why most people don't care anymore. And so I didn't watch much of it live, but I did see the highlights the next day, and I saw that I didn't really miss anything. Sure, a pudgy, self-proclaimed, non-binary guy named Sam Smith did a satanic ritual on stage, and I'm sure that would have raised a few eyebrows back in the 70s or maybe 80s. But is anybody really shocked by that anymore? I know what my reaction was. Boring! But until Gigi Allen comes back from the dead and picks a fight with his audience or defecates on stage, I'm not really getting shocked at anything. But I think the thing that nauseates me the most about these award shows are just the people and celebrities who show up and try to act like they're important. And don't worry, I'm not going to make any wisecracks or jokes about Madonna. 
I think we can all see that she's made some really bad choices and decisions in her life, including her face. I just hope there's no one out there who is actually listening to her for advice or words of wisdom. Because she may be a genius at marketing herself and getting attention, but when it comes to anything else, uh, her and most of these musical superstars are just idiots. And speaking of idiots, did anybody see Biden's State of the Union address? Yeah, how about that? Yeah, I know, I shouldn't make fun of a senile old guy like that. And to be fair, I probably wouldn't if he wasn't so arrogant. And speaking of arrogant, I could not believe my eyes to see that Bono from U2 was at the State of the Union address. And he, like Camilla Harris, was standing up and applauding like a trained seal every time Biden said something incoherent. And for me, that's when I finally decided that's it. I am officially denouncing that I ever liked Bono or U2. In the past, I've been one of those guys who has said, you know, I've hated everything they've done for the last 30 years, but uh, I did like their first two albums, but no more. Bono has finally crossed that line of self-important douchiness that uh, I can no longer deal with. Tool, a massive tool. Now, as long as I'm talking about stuff that's on TV, I might as well tell you what I've been watching on TV. First up, I finally got around to seeing Top Gun Maverick. Now, I'm not usually into action movies that have a bunch of explosions and stuff like that. And so I wasn't in really any hurry to see this. But I finally did, and I must say, I was underwhelmed. I mean, it was okay. I kind of enjoyed the last half of it all right. But all the Hollywood cliches just drive me crazy. Like, there always has to be a love interest, and this time it was Jennifer Connelly. And even though she's a total bitch to Tom Cruise, he's still really into her and gotta have her. And I love the way there's always gotta be a guy who's the asshole. And of course, he's a white guy, and he's always gotta have a toothpick in his mouth. And when you see the toothpick, that's the dead giveaway that, oh yeah, this guy's a dick. Totally. Uh, let's see, we also watched a couple of older movies, not real old, but uh, the first one was I had to watch Kick-Ass again because that movie kicks ass. And I actually forgot how super violent that thing is, but still pretty good. And Alex wanted to watch A Star Is Born, the uh, Lady Gaga version, and it's pretty good, but I only made it through half of it this time. I think Bradley Cooper's a great actor, but man, he just started depressing me with all the alcoholism. And it's probably because I've never drank or done drugs myself. And so I've really never understood that physical addiction or the mind of an addict. But a lot of people are just astounded when they find out that I've gone through life without drinking or doing drugs. And they're like, how could you have been a musician and been on the road and never done any of that stuff? And my answer is usually, uh, you know, it wasn't really that hard. Like I said earlier, I grew up in a very religious family, and all that was really looked down upon. And so I never did any of that while I was living at home. And when I got to college, of course, everybody was partying and uh, doing that stuff all the time. But I'll be honest, uh, I just kind of looked at all those people as uh, kind of obnoxious. And I just never felt like I had to do any of that stuff to have fun. I'd still go to concerts and go out to see bands, but I just wanted to be coherent so I could remember it. Call me crazy. You're crazy. Anyway, so I'm not addicted to drugs or chemicals or substances, but I am addicted to sports. And I've dealt with this all my life, but it's gotten really bad the last two years when I moved here to Colorado because they've just got all the professional sports. And it doesn't matter if it's the Rockies or the Nuggets or the Avalanche, I've gotta watch every minute of every game. This guy needs help. Now the only exception is the Denver Broncos. I cannot root for them because they're in the same division as my beloved Kansas City Chiefs. And speaking of the Chiefs, forgive me now because I must talk about the Super Bowl. Yeah! 
Now, for most of the people listening right now, I'm sure you have your own favorite team, and you probably hate the Chiefs. You're sick of hearing about Patrick Mahomes, you're sick of them winning and being in the Super Bowl all the time. And I get it, that's the way I used to feel about Tom Brady and the Patriots. But let me explain something. My life as a sports fan up until about five years ago was a very tough one. As a kid, I rooted for the Minnesota Vikings, and they went to four Super Bowls and lost every time. And as an adult, I spent decade after decade rooting for the Chiefs, only to have them break my heart every single year. But then one year, we drafted Patrick Mahomes, and everything changed. We were suddenly a winning franchise. Are you done yet? Only problem is, nobody ever believes in the Chiefs, including me. Oh, I root for them every single game. But every single game, it feels like they're going to lose. And this year was no different. I watched every single game, and every week, that team would stress me out so much that I would have to take a blood pressure pill around halftime. But lo and behold, they make it to the Super Bowl, and there they are, losing at halftime. And so I took a blood pressure pill and watched Rihanna. And it might surprise you, but uh, I didn't totally hate Rihanna. This can't be real. I mean, I miss the days when they used to have bands and real musicians who played instruments, and I could have done without the 200 dancers that they always seem to have to have. But I will say this, Rihanna is not Beyonce, and for that reason, uh, I was okay with it. Hey, come on! Overall, I didn't think the halftime show was that great, but I thought it was better than most of the commercials, which I thought totally sucked. The only one that I really liked was the Breaking Bad commercial. Uh, I can't remember what they were selling, but it was funny. But anyway, as far as the game, uh, the Chiefs come back in the second half. They're down to the 15-yard line with two minutes left. I'm all excited because it looks like they're going in for a score. And then it happened. The refs throw a penalty flag. But I'm used to this because the refs have screwed the Chiefs all year long. During this season, I bet they've had 10 touchdowns taken away because of holding penalties. But to my amazement, the refs had actually called holding on the Eagles. And this allowed the Chiefs to run the clock down and kick a field goal with just a few seconds left. And at that moment, I knew the Chiefs were going to be world champions. But I also realized at that moment that the world was going to bitch, whine, and moan about the call. And sure enough, it immediately started, oh, the Eagles got screwed. The refs cheated. They wanted the Chiefs to win. But I'll tell you what, I've just got this one message for all the fans that thought the Eagles got screwed. The outcome of that game could have been totally different if the Eagles defense would have done one thing. Perhaps they could have stopped the Chiefs from scoring in the second half, maybe, I don't know, one time. But they didn't, and uh, they got Mahomesed. So whine all you want, I don't care, because my Chiefs are world champions. And I gotta say, I'm having a good year as far as sports. The Avalanche also won the Stanley Cup, and the Nuggets are in first place right now. And so I'm a happy camper. But there is one thing that I really hate about sports, and that's the announcers. You see, right now in the world, everything has got to be woke, and that includes sports. And so now when I watch an NBA basketball game, nine times out of ten, the commentator has got to be a woman. And I know there's at least a few of you guys out there who know what I'm talking about and you agree with me, when I say that when I'm watching basketball, I don't need every single thing explained to me by somebody that sounds like Aunt Gladys. And I know you think I sound like a sexist, but to be fair, I also hate men announcers. I hate Hubie Brown, I hate Chris Collinsworth, and I really, really hate Tony Romo. And it's all for one reason. They won't shut the hell up. When did ESPN and Fox and all the other networks decide that there could never be a single second of silence during a broadcast? 
Have you ever noticed this? It doesn't matter what happens. They have to explain it to you like you're either blind or a total idiot. Yeah, now see what happened there is that uh, his toe touched the line and that means he's out of bounds. Oh, thank you so much for that expert analysis. But how about you just take a breath and give my ears a break? And so you can tell I've given this a lot of thought. And I actually came up with an idea for an invention. And I don't think this exists yet, but I'm pretty sure that someone will come along and invent this and make millions. But here's my idea. I would like to have a TV and a remote where you could mute the announcers and just have crowd noise. And it would be optional, like if you wanted to hear the announcers, you still could. But let's say you're watching, you know, the Lakers and Boston or Golden State, because those are the only three teams they ever show on TV. And you've just gotten an ass full of Doris Burke going on and on about how great LeBron James is. Well, you just hit a button and suddenly you don't hear Doris anymore, but you can still hear the crowd, and so it's kind of like when you just go to a game. I mean, seriously, when you go to a rock concert, do you need somebody standing there explaining it all to you? Oh my, did you just see the way his fingers went over the top of that fretboard? And it was truly amazing when the drummer went to a halftime during that pre-chorus. Yeah, so if anyone knows how to invent an announcer mute button, let me know. Say what you want about him, the man knows what he's talking about! Okay, the next thing I want to tell you about is something that I saw on YouTube. And it took place on the Dr. Phil show, I think about six years ago. And this clip went viral, and maybe you've heard of this chick, but uh, I never had. But this teenage kid became known as the Catch Me Outside Girl. And instead of playing you the clip from the actual show, Alex and I decided to do a reenactment. And we took a few liberties with it, but uh, it's pretty close to the real thing. I will be doing the part of Dr. Phil, and Alex will play the role of the teenage girl. And after you listen to this, I have a follow-up story about it that you will not believe. But first of all, take it away, Dr. Phil. On today's show, we're going to talk to a 13-year-old girl named Danielle. And she claims that she runs away from home, steals cars, and even hits her mother. So, Danielle, let me ask you, do you really hit your mother? Yeah, she hit me, so why can't I hit her back? Really? Now, do you really think that's a good thing to do? Yeah, she hits me, I'm giving it to her. Okay, now what else do you do? I steal her car. I steal her credit cards. I steal cars. I ran away four times in one day, and the police had to come back and get me. Now what happens if someday you get arrested for stealing a car and you go to jail? I don't care. Okay, well I'll just tell you right now, I think you sound like a little spoiled brat. Now, what did you just say? Were you speaking English? Me? Okay, well, I can't even understand what you're saying. Where did you learn to talk like that? From the street. I grew up on the street. Okay, well, did you graduate from the fifth grade? Well, I got all the way to the seventh grade if you want to get technical. All right, well, are you sure? Because you sound like you're retarded. That's right. Now, I gotta ask, you sound like you're from the hood, but you look like you're Caucasian, are you? What you talking about? Caucasian means you're a white person. Well, technically. So you are white. I'm Jewish. <laughs> okay, the audience is just laughing at you. Easy, audience, they, they don't know what they talking about, they're a bunch of hoes. What'd you say? You think the audience is a bunch of hoes? Yeah, they're right. They're a bunch of hoes. Catch me outside. How about that? What did you just say? What I just said. Catch me outside. How about that? Wanna take this outside? I think I can break hammers outside. So there you go. Thanks to Alex for doing such a wonderful job on that. And like I said, uh, that took place about six years ago. 
But here's the amazing follow-up story. Apparently after the show aired and uh, the clip went viral on the internet, somebody from Atlantic Records gave this little dipshit a call. And they said, how'd you like to sign with Atlantic Records? We think we can make you a rapper. Well, of course she said yes, because what teenage kid wouldn't say yes? And the next thing you know, she's making albums, she's making videos. She also gets on one of these OnlyFan websites and puts a bunch of pictures of herself on there and makes a million dollars in one day. And from what I understand, today she's about 19 years old. She's known as Bad Baby. And even though she's since lost her record deal, she's worth millions. And when I hear stuff like this, uh, first of all, it makes me lose my mind. I realize there is nothing fair about life and that the whole world is turning to shit in front of our very eyes. And so I just wanted to share that with you. You're welcome. That's a hell of a story. Okay, something else I heard uh, here lately that I kind of liked and I wanted to tell you about was a band called Sleep Token. There's kind of a buzz out there about them and no, I'm not jumping on the bandwagon. But it's kind of different and I do like this one song. And I'm going to play it, let you check it out, and I'm going to give you some of my thoughts along the way. This is called Alkaline. Every once in a while something changes And she's changing me It's too late for me now I am altered there is something beneath She's not acid, no alkaline Caught between black and white Not quite either day or night She's perfectly misaligned I'm caught up in her design And how it connects to mine I see in a different light The objects of so it starts out really mellow, kind of haunting, and some people don't like his voice that much, but I think it's kind of cool. Okay, right about here is where this song turns great. Ooh, let's talk about chemistry, cause I'm dying to melt I love this. I've seen some clips of these guys on YouTube and uh, they wear masks kind of like Ghost, but there again, I think that's kind of cool. So once again, that's Sleep Token. If you like that, go check it out. But right now, it's time for a couple more questions from you guys. And the first one is from Sabrina Nelson on Facebook. And she wanted to know, what was my favorite place or country to play in? 
You know, we played almost everywhere except a couple of places that I can think of. We never played in Australia, which I would have loved to have gone there. And we never went to Japan, which I thought would have been a perfect place for Galactic Cowboys to play. I think we would have gone over great there. But of the places we did play, uh, I always loved going to England. I always had a blast playing in Florida. And of course, I lived in Kansas City for quite a while, so anytime we played there, that was like doing a hometown show. And that was personally great for me. But my absolute favorite place that I ever played was Paris, France. I think it was around 95 or somewhere around there, and we were touring on the Machine Fish album, and we were on this whole European tour with Anthrax. And we show up in Paris, and we go to the Eiffel Tower, and the day of the show, we go to the Louvre Art Museum and uh, spent the whole afternoon there. And that was just incredible. We saw the Mona Lisa and all these famous paintings that I'd studied in college. And we were there about three or four hours and didn't even cover half of it. But we finally had to leave so we could go play the show that night. And when we hit the stage, you know, you never know how people are going to react to you. Especially us, because some nights people would just look at us like, what the hell is this? But in Paris, the place was packed, and I could just tell right from the start they were really digging us. And I'll never forget starting the song Idle Minds. And I was playing that riff, and as I played, I would always bounce. And that night, I looked out, and the whole crowd started doing it with me. And there they were, a couple of thousand Anthrax fans just jumping along to Galactic Cowboys. And that was probably one of the funnest, best days of my life. Next, I got an email from Jeff Dallow, who has been listening to the podcast recently, and he wanted to know, are there any songs by Galactic Cowboys that are Christian? Well, thanks for listening, Jeff. You know, we kind of got put into the uh, Christian band category early on, and that's not something we were really going for or even wanted. And I'll be honest, it was because uh, back then I thought a lot of Christian music was really pretty cheesy. And so I didn't want our music to be classified as contemporary Christian at all. I was briefly in that industry for about a year back in the 80s, and I left with a very bad taste in my mouth. Now, I'm not trying to be a smartass, but uh, the real question is, can a song be a Christian? And my answer would be, people choose to be Christians. And songs are just music and art. But I know what you mean, and uh, I would say that over the course of the seven albums that Galactic Cowboys did, Ben and I at times wrote lyrics that were of a spiritual nature. And occasionally there were references to God and our personal beliefs. And if you look at those as Christian songs, then I guess the answer is yes. But the final question comes from Ken Vanderstelt, who says, Hey, Monty, how's it going? Oh, is that a good question? Well, thanks for asking, Ken. You know, man, I've been doing pretty good. I've been working really hard getting ready for the Rockin' Pod Expo in Nashville. It's happening March 17th through the 19th, and I'm going to be there all three days. I'm apparently getting up and jamming on a couple of songs at the pre-party on Friday night, and I believe that's hosted by Don Jameson, so that'll be cool. And then on Saturday, I will be part of the Rockin' Pod Podcasters Convention, and I'll have a booth at that. I'll be hanging out, meeting a bunch of new people, hopefully. And I'll also be showing and hopefully selling a bunch of my paintings and prints. And then Sunday, at the same place, it's going to be more of a pop culture convention, and I'm also going to be at that. And so in the meantime, if you want to order any of my art, you can do so on my website, montycolvinart.com. 
But if you happen to live in Nashville or you're coming for the convention, uh, you can see all my stuff in person. And I gotta tell you, I've got some new stuff that I think is really cool. If you're into metal, I've got some new stuff of the guys in Slayer. I just did a Tony Iommi and a Ted Nugent, and I'm even working on a Adam D of Killswitch painting. And right now, I'm in a wheeling dealing mood. If you're looking for prints and you want to buy a couple, message me and I might just throw in a free one. If you want to buy a painting and you don't think you can afford it, talk to me. I might be able to figure out something that's within your budget or set you up with a payment plan. Because believe me, I know how it is. Because right now I need a new computer, but I'm probably going to have to go to Best Buy and pay it out if I ever get one. And speaking of computers, I gotta thank Eric Malmstrom on Facebook. Not only for his kind donations, but after the last episode where I talked about having a problem with the keyboard on my MacBook, where it would give me double letters all the time, well, Eric messaged me and said, hey, why don't you just get an external keyboard and plug that in? And I went, hmm, you know, I've never thought of that. Duh! And so that's what I did, and voila, it worked. No more double and triple letters, no more tearing my hair out. So thank you so much, Eric. I'd also like to thank Roy Johnson for buying my painting of Michael Sweet of Striper. I put that up on my website one morning, and it sold an hour later. But I do have some cool looking prints of that now, so any of you Striper fans want some of that action, uh, let me know. Or if there's something you want to commission me to do, feel free to get a hold of me. Commercial's over. Okay, before I go, I wanted to tell you one more story from my youth. Like I said earlier, I used to play basketball. I played in grade school and junior high, and I played on my high school teams. And before I ever thought about being a musician, I was obsessed with basketball. Which also meant I would follow the NBA religiously. I knew the names of every player on every team. And I would watch every game that was on TV. And this was the 70s, which meant there was probably one game a week. And you couldn't record the games because this was before VCRs. And so if you were going to watch it, you had to be in front of your TV when it came on. And my favorite game every year was the All-Star Game. Because all the best players and the guys that I looked up to so much were going to be in that game at the same time. And back then, there was no All-Star Weekend. There was just the one game. And they would always play it on Tuesday night for some reason. And I'll never forget this one year, my high school basketball team had a game on the same night. And we had to go out of town to play, and I missed the All-Star game. And I was so bummed because it was so important to me. Well, you may know where this is going, but the other night I tuned in to watch the 2023 NBA All-Star game. And I gotta say, I think that was the worst game I've ever seen in my life. It was a complete waste of my time. It was a joke. The modern day players have taken a game that I used to love and they've ruined it. The egos have just gotten so out of control that these guys think they're gods. Now, how did it end up like this? For me, it was a progression. To me, it started with Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan. They started getting shoe deals, and they were on commercials, and they were just everywhere. They became celebrities. And then you had people like Kobe Bryant, who came right out of high school, and they were just told their entire lives that they could do no wrong. And each one of these guys spawned a whole new generation. Until out of the bowels of Ohio came the chosen one. LeBron James, once again right out of high school. Only this time, it was an ego like we'd never seen before. And year after year, his narcissism grew bigger and bigger. And gradually it spread through the whole NBA. To the point where today, the entire league is just filled with its all about me douchebags. And the other night when I watched that All-Star game, I just felt like it hit an all-time low. I don't think most of them care anything about the fans. They just want you to worship them and give them money. And I am just sickened by all of it. 
But really, isn't that the way most everything is anymore? Most of the music you hear is bad. Most of the movies you see are bad. People have run out of ideas and they just want to concentrate on being woke. And so it's kind of gotten me to thinking, you know, maybe I should just fall in line too. I've always tried to hold myself to a certain standard of creativity and excellence, but maybe I should just stop all that and just concentrate a little bit more on, uh, you know, diversity and inclusion. And so I'm going to start right now. In the past, I haven't really played enough music by Asian artists and musicians. And so today, I'm going to play you a song by an Asian singer named Wing. She's doing a cover of the ACDC song Back in Black. And you'll notice she's not a great singer, but she does kind of fill that diversity quota that I'm looking for. So take it away, Wing. by the second. You jerk! But that's gonna do it for this episode of the Rockcast. I appreciate you listening, and if you want to get a hold of me, you can do so on Facebook. And if you want to see an interview with me, you can check out the Pod Scum Podcast on YouTube. And if you want to check out my art, go to montycalvinart.com. But I will be back with more fun and mayhem real soon. But until then, this has been Monty saying take care. Don't let anyone tell you what to like unless it's me. And rock on. Love that.